0: We just came out of John chapter 11 where it ends with this they they're wanting to kill Christ in fact they're meeting regularly they're meeting to kill Christ to, to find a way to to get rid of him and the if you remember the last time we were in John chapter 11 the priest the high priest said he said don't you understand that it would be good for us to kill one for the the whole nation instead of losing the whole nation let's just kill this one and of course not knowingly, he prophesied of the atonement that Jesus Christ would bring. And so here we have John chapter 11, and, or John chapter 12, and it's a transition in the book of John. So far we've seen Jesus' public ministry up until the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12 really starts what we would call the Passion Week. There's one week of Jesus' life left, but there's still nine chapters of John. So you can see how it's broken down, and, and so much of John is given to that last week of Jesus' life. And we'll obviously take a good amount of time as we go through the next nine chapters in John. But start with me, if you would, at John chapter 12, and verse 1, and we'll look at just the first 11 verses. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This said he not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare that was put therein. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And we'll end our reading there. You can see right here in this passage how that, that difference between love and hate is just coming to the surface And it will express itself over the next six days in a a wonderful and horrific way. At any time in history since his incarnation, there has been growing love and growing hate for Jesus Christ. And today is no different. Today it is no different. The context of this passage is pretty clearly laid out. We ended chapter 11 with the Pharisees putting out an APB on Jesus. Right? Verse Uh, Verse 53 says, Then from that day forth they took counsel to put him to death. Verse 57 says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he was, he should show it, that he might take him. So the Passover feast and all of its festivities, festivities and sacrifices are starting up. People have heard a lot about Jesus over the past week, because Lazarus, a dead man, was raised to life. Jesus would, just like any other Jewish man, would go to Jerusalem for the Passover sacrifice. And so people were coming to Jerusalem and looking for Jesus, whether it was for entertainment purposes, whether they had questions, they just wanted to see who this person was. So there was a lot of hubbub, we could say, about Jesus at this time. And so Jesus, after resorting away from those who hated him for a period of time, we're not sure, maybe a few days, maybe some weeks, is now on his way back to Jerusalem, and he stops in Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus. And there a meal is prepared for him. And in less than a week, Jesus will have been betrayed, mock trial would have happened, and he will be crucified. And yet, he's going to take this time, and he's going to have an intimate dinner with those that love him and that he loves dearly. It's a last family dinner. I guess you could see it as this uh, this is recorded in each gospel and so we get a little bit more context as we look at the account from the other gospels and so this was not in Martha's home this would have been in the home of Simon the leper now obviously he was not Simon the current leper because they wouldn't be able to have it in his home and leprosy in that day did not have any cures and so this was probably a man who was healed by Jesus Christ we don't, we don't have the specifics on that, but if he was a leper and he's been pronounced clean by the rituals of, of the temple and what took place to actually allow him back into the social setting, he had to be cleansed. And so here Simon the leper is having Jesus over for dinner, Lazarus is there, obviously Mary and Martha, the disciples, and many people are coming there to see him. And so they're having this time. I, it would be an interesting conversation. To sit around this table and hear. I'd love to hear the questions or the conversation from Lazarus. I'd like to be there and ask him a few questions, right? Was there a light? Okay, all right, just making sure you guys are with us. All right. But regardless, the people here are people that love Jesus and have much to be thankful for. A lot like this group here this morning, right? There's a love for Jesus, and there is much to be thankful for. And yet, at that table, there is a man who hates Jesus. A man who, through great hypocrisy uh, in this dinner, will show uh, his hatred, in a sense, for those who love Jesus. Today, I want to look at these two women, though, and look at the example and the, and the, the, the expression of their love for Jesus Christ. And so the main point of the whole sermon is to look at the examples of loving worship, loving worship. This morning we came in and we sang songs, and I hope you recognize that in those songs, they were songs of love, dedication, sacrifice, and worship to God. Now the question will be, how, what motivated you to sing those things, right? So I'm sitting there in the front row looking at my son, and he's kind of just not quite there. And I'm saying, love Jesus and sing for him, right? That, that, I, I want him to engage. I want him to be a part of it. But you, you know you can't force anybody to love anything. Oh, I can make him sing. Just like my dad made me sing. Right? But but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about singing because you'll look bad in church or people around you might see you not singing. Right? This is This is... What we're talking about when loving worship, we're talking about you are excited about this. And as you read the words that somebody penned, they make a connection with your testimony. I know this to be true. If I could have said it this way, I would have wrote that song because I know these things to be true. And I rejoice to offer them as praise to the Lord. So let's look at Martha. Martha is the first one of the sisters that's mentioned here. Martha, we'll see, is an ex- expressing grateful love through service. Martha expresses grateful love and worship through service. We all know Martha. She is the one who was irritated at Mary for not helping. She's the busybody of the house. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's serving. By the way, we need not discount Martha's expression of love, though it is very different than Mary's. Even though it is not... Martha's house or kitchen, she just can't help herself. I'm sure you women know people like this. Service, service is her expression of worship. It is how she shows love. Now, obviously, service can be done for all sorts of false motives, begrudging duty. Have you ever done things because you're just supposed to? This would be the only reason I would be in the kitchen. I don't belong there unless I'm cleaning. Spite. People, people serve out of spite. People serve out of a desire to avoid people. Right? Have you ever found yourself washing dishes just to get away from the table conversation? You all look at me like I'm crazy. Okay. <laughs> people serve out of a victim mentality. Well, if I don't clean this, no one will. And I will sacrifice because obviously no one else will. However, I don't think that is the case here. Now, if you remember in Luke, this was the case at one point in, Mary's, in Martha's life. Martha, in, in Luke chapter 10, is giving a dinner for Jesus. And she comes to Jesus, uh, and Mary's sitting there at Jesus' feet. And Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, does you not care that my sister has left off serving? She's always doing this to me. Do you not care? And, of course, Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I think Martha, though, at this point, has a totally different motivation for what she's doing at this dinner. Do you remember her coming to the Lord and pouring her out and saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died? Do you remember the sorrow and the... the, I don't think lost trust or lost faith in Jesus, but just disappointment. Jesus, we know that if you had made it back in time, Lazarus would still be alive. And even when Jesus says, hey, today you will see the power of God expressed, uh, remove the stone, Martha goes, why? It's gross. He stinks. And then they witness this amazing miracle. Do you think that would affect how Martha served Jesus the next time? Do you think that would affect the fact that though other people may not have been helping her, she did not care. She was serving Jesus. I think Martha is totally motivated by love and gratitude for Jesus Christ. I believe, I, I believe there are people here in this ministry who are just like Martha. You love God. You are thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the best way you know how to express that is through serving his people. Serving God, serving others. You are busy ministering. My question to you is this, though how can you tell if you are ministering out of duty or out of love? Really, the question is gratitude. What motivates your ministry? What motivates, and by the way, most of them aren't here in the service. You know why? They have provided an opportunity for you to be here in the service by watching children, by teaching by keeping the campus clean, by practicing, by getting the service ready. What is your motivation? What is your attitude? There's many improper attitudes for service. Recognition. If you are are burning out while ministering for God, it is because you are ministering for self. Your burnout can only be traced back to one thing, and that is your motivation and and is it, why is it not out of love and gratitude as an act of worship? Because that doesn't burn out. What motivates you? Is it duty? There is honor and duty. However, it is not the greatest motivation for service. Service motivated by love for God goes above and beyond. And it doesn't clock out. When the contract says it continues because it's motivated not by duty, but by love. Duty has its place, but love trumps duty in service every time. Another improper attitude in service is self-promotion. Service can be a quick way to get what you want. However, there's often hypocrisy and ulterior, ulterior motives in this type of service. This type of service burns out quicker than others when people are overlooked for promotion or raise or praise. Why are you serving? Well, let me ask you first. Are you serving? Is there an aspect of your faith in Jesus Christ and your understanding of what he has done for you that motivates service as an act of worship? Not a duty, not for recognition, but because you love to serve Christ. You see, the Bible says, Whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Right? Do you know women, even when the Bible calls you to submit to your husbands, he doesn't say submit to your husbands because they are awesome. You recognize that pretty quick, as non-biblical. What does it say? It says to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And most of you women understand that that's the only way you can continue in it. What a, what a picture of, of loving service when a woman submits herself to a very imperfect and at times very frustrating and unloving man. But does it out of worship and gratitude for her Savior? At the same time, service can be then the truest act of worship when accompanied by the right attitude and motivation. What are proper attitudes for service then? Well, following the example of Christ. Didn't Christ show us what service is? What proper service is? How it acts? What it looks like? In less than a week, Jesus is actually going to go to his last meal with his disciples. And he's gonna, they're going to go into a room and there won't be anybody there to serve them. There won't be any there, anybody there to wash their feet as was customary before they ate while they ate they typically reclined at a table that like a u-shaped table that they could look at each other and when you recline your head's on one end and your feet are in somebody else's face maybe not like literally in their face but they're pretty close and if anything will turn your stomach at dinner that would and so they'd wash their feet Nobody was there to do that, and so Jesus, the master, the creator of the universe, will take a towel and sit down and wash his disciples' feet. And in fact, he'll say this in Matthew twenty three, eleven, he says, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. In Luke, he says it this way, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they exercise authority upon them that are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For who is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? Is it not he that sitteth at meat? And we'd all say yes, and Jesus says no. No. No, he says, I am among you as he that serveth. John twelve twenty six, just a few verses down. Jesus says this, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You see, grateful love in Martha motivated her service, and it was an act of worship. Paul what did he do Paul called himself a bond servant or a bond slave of Jesus Christ one who out of grateful love and devotion made himself the slave of Jesus no rights no ambition no recognition just willingness to serve because of what Jesus had done for him Can it be that when Jesus rebukes Martha Earlier, with her frustration over Mary, Jesus was not trying to teach Martha to stop serving, but to have the right motivation for service. Could it be that Martha learned this lesson not simply by willpower, but by a change of heart through the work of Jesus in her family? And could it be that Martha's service in Simon the leper's house was not an offering, or was an offering of worship based on her gratitude and love for the Lord? I think that's why it's included in this chapter. She's not even the primary focus. And yet we see her service. We see this this is her reputation. This is what Martha is known for. Service then that is service that is a byproduct of loving worship. Will never burn out. It will it can't be offended. Will never seek to be satisfied by recognition. It cannot be disrespected. No job is too small, too big, or too lowly. In fact, it is the example that Jesus Christ himself offers. What a beautiful picture of worship through service. Let's look at Mary. Mary is the focus of this part of the chapter, and we see this as the example of grateful love through worship. Grateful love through worship. One was through sacrifice, or service, and one is through worship. And this is really the focus of the passage. Then look at verse 3. It says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Spikenard is a perfume that is taken from a plant that's found in the Himalaya mountains. Obviously, this would not be easy to get during this time in history. And so it would be expensive and it would be something that you treasured. A pound of pure spikenard would have been the major part of an inheritance or a nest egg or whatever you'd want to call it. Mary approaches Jesus, who had been reclining at the table, and anoints him. And if you read the parallel passages in Mark and Matthew, we see that she anointed his head all the way down to his feet. She comes in Mark 14.3, it says she breaks the alabaster box of ointment and and she poured it out on his head. And so I just want to look at this act of Mary by noticing a few things about Mary's act of loving worship that are true and exemplary for us. And while we don't have a pound of spikenard, well, I don't, I don't know if you do, nor do we have Jesus' physical body in that sense, I do think there are some timeless truths that we must draw from Mary's worship and, in fact, learn from and practice ourselves. First of all, I'd like us to see this, loving worship is not concerned with the price. Loving worship is not concerned with the price. Money was not the determining factor of what was too much of a gift for her Lord. I am sure no amount was too much. I don't know how she came by this perfume. Was it passed down from family members? Was it something that she had gained through hard work over the years? Was it a gift? Was it a dowry? We don't see a husband in the picture, so that would probably not be it. However, what we do know is that her love for Jesus made the cost of the sacrifice little. She was excited to be able to do this. A heart that is overflowing with gratitude is not worried about the cost. It's the idea, Lord, just take it all. It's yours. All that I have is yours. But I'd say this, worship that does not sacrifice is cheap. Worship that does not sacrifice is cheap. What did you give up to be here at church today? What is it that would make it un, not worth going to church? Now, obviously, when we talk about worship, it's not just what happens here on a Sunday morning. That's just the exclamation point at the end of the sentence of worship. Worship. That you get to do with other believers who are living their life daily in worship. But well, worship that costs nothing is cheap. Deuteronomy 6 5 tells us the true cost of worship when Jesus gives the command that says, Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. What is Jesus asking for? Everything everything. I think it was Warren Buffett who said he's never given, by the way, Warren Buffett's given away more money than probably all of us combined have made, right? But he says this, I've never given away anything that cost me anything. He never had to take a change in lifestyle based on his philanthropy and his kind-heartedness. That's not worship, obviously. Worship requires sacrifice, Worship is expensive. And I hope you know we're not talking about money right now. We're talking about you, the entirety of your person. This is a work that God does in the heart of a believer. A willingness to sacrifice the temporal for the eternal is a convincing work of God in the heart of every believer. I will give this up. Think about Moses. Moses had the opportunity to be in the leadership of the most powerful country of the world, right? He was in the Pharaoh's family, and he looked at it, and he said this, No way I do, no way I want that. There's pleasure in that, but it's only for a season. I am going to sacrifice all of that for something eternal. And in fact, he chose rather, it says, to suffer affliction with the children of God. But you know what he was? He was a child of God you know where Moses is today? Not the same place Pharaoh is. The sacrifice was expensive in the time, and yet it was the right act of worship. It is interesting that the amount that is, is actually stated in this passage, 300 pence. So uh, uh, if you think about it, a pence would be like a day's labor. And so this would have been a year's salary for a working person, you take out holidays and Sabbaths and all that, it comes to about 300 And so here, well, let's just think about it in 2021 terms. Well, this was actually back in 2020 before everybody stopped working. But the average in America, the average yearly income for an American average here was $45,000. Right? How quickly have you ever spent $45,000? And what do you... Judas and the disciples just watched $45,000 go from the head of Jesus onto his beard and into the dirt. Right? Notice the difference in the worship. One was giving everything and the other was critical. Why would you do that? There was no loving worship in the heart of Judas, especially, as this money was just dumped down the drain. Do you remember the example? Remember David? David is running from Saul, and at a point David says, Oh, I wish I could have a drink from this certain spring. And his the members of his military said this, If David wants it, we get it. So they go behind enemy lines and they go and they, they risk their lives and they bring David a drink of water from this fountain. And what does David do with it? He just drinks it and says, oh, this is the best. No, what does he do? He says, this is too sacred because it was too costly. I cannot consume it. I will pour it out as an offering unto the Lord. What, what did you sacrifice to be here this morning? What do you sacrifice to worship The Lord. How can we, like Mary, love and worship extravagantly? And I'll just say this you're not going to be able to do enough to match this act. This act was a result of deep love and gratitude. To follow the example of Mary is not to give more money in the offering, not to take a missions trip, not to sacrifice something that you have per se. It's actually to go back and listen to what the Lord says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, He says, "And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and thou mayest that thou mayest live. What is he saying? God has to do this work in your heart, cutting away that, that love for the temporal, cutting away those things that serve self and, and, and setting that heart. Singularly to God Singularly to God Do you want that? Only God can do that Will you ask Him for it? Will you ask God to give you a heart That would sacrifice everything Yes, even your spouse and children To Him You say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. God told me to be a good father and a good husband. Yes, he did. So will you say no to yourself and obey God? You see, what you do, what you can do to increase your love for Christ starts with an understanding of who he is and what he has done for you. And then... Out of that, God generates true worship. Meditate on his goodness. Recognize his grace. Rejoice in his mercy. Contemplate his faithfulness. Stand in awe of his holiness. This will work a work of gratitude in you that will set your heart away from that which is temporal and away from that which is worldly and will turn you into an extravagant worshiper who would be willing to sacrifice even a year's salary for Christ. By the way, I'm not here to tell you today how you should demonstrate your love, but just to tell you that no amount is too much. A a lover is motivated by, by, by a heart condition, and it does not need to be told what to do. In fact, The heart of a lover looks to show love in everything that it does. Jesus Christ has forgiven our sin, has paid our debt, has rescued us from God's wrath, has given to us the eternal inheritance of heaven and the down payment of the Holy Spirit. He's given us joy. He's given us peace. What would you hold back from him? What would you refuse to give to him? Man, it just doesn't make sense right now as we sit inside this building, having sung his praises, that we would hold on to anything. And yet, when we walk out of these doors, we, we covet and we hold to ourselves things that will perish. I'd encourage you to ask yourself these questions. How do I demonstrate my love for God? And how does my demonstration of love for God display the depth of my gratitude? Those are hard questions to answer, and so I would would encourage you, don't just come to church and go home and be done with it. Think. Take some quiet time to ask yourself those questions and answer them. How do I demonstrate my love for God in worship? And how does that demonstration show the depth of my gratitude? First of all, Mary shows... Her worship by saying there's no amount too much. But also loving worship is not worried about the perception of others. There's one concern for the lover. And that is that the one who is loved understand the depth of that love. For for a woman in, in this time, this would be inappropriate behavior. It would have been odd for a person to, it would not have been odd for a person to be anointed that we don't, it was odd to us, we don't typically do that, but this was common practice in the day. However, for a woman to do this at man, to a man in front of others, and then for a woman to let her hair down in public and, and touch a man's feet with it, based on the traditions, this was borderline immoral, and Mary didn't care. Mary was motivated by a love for Jesus. By the way, you don't find any restrictions in Scripture about women letting their hair down and wiping a man's feet. By the way, I'm not encouraging that you do that, women. I'm just saying, they thought it was immoral. They thought it was wrong because of their own traditions. If God's Word had prohibited it, it would not have been an act of love, right? But you see here, Mary is motivated out of a grateful heart to God, and she's not worried about what these disciples are going to say. Remember when this happened before? This happened before, not with oil, but with a lady's tears. And not just a lady, a prostitute's tears. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, Jesus and his disciples were in the house of a Pharisee. And when they sat down, a woman of the city, which was a sinner... That word sinner there is that focus on the fact that she was a prostitute. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. (laughs) When the Pharisees, which had bidden him, eat in their house, saw it, they spake within themselves, saying, "This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." What did Jesus say to them? No, she is forgiven. Don't call her a sinner. She has she is forgiven. And you know what they say next? Who can really forgive sins? Right, and Jesus, of course, shows the appropriateness of her behavior because it was motivated out of faith. And that passage ends with with Jesus looking at this woman saying, your faith hath saved you. The loving worshiper does not diminish the expression of their love to save face with others. Brad asked if he could come up and say how much he loved Anna, but we told him it probably wouldn't be appropriate for church, so maybe afterwards he'll do it in the parking lot. (laughs) I'm sorry, I set you up. All right, so... (laughs) The object of love is the only consideration, right? I mean, that's the picture that we have, is some guy standing up in a restaurant making a fool out of himself just to communicate his heart to his his, um, wife, girlfriend, whatever, right? And this is Mary. Mary says, I don't care what people think. Let me just ask you this. How would this change the way you sing? Oh, some people woke up, (laughs) right? I mean, come on. We were just singing... About what Jesus did for us and that he saved us from our sin and and gave us eternity in heaven. And I looked down at my son and he's like, oh. Now, I don't think he understands it all quite yet. But man, my heart burns because I want him to, I don't want him to sing because it makes it look good for the family. I want him to sing because he recognizes the truth and says, that's me. He's not quite there yet. Praise the Lord, he'll get there. I have faith. But, well, why do you sing the way you do? Now I'll say this. I have, over the years, we have had so many people compliment the way our congregation sings, so I don't want to diminish that. But I'll tell you what, that this should be the happening place. I mean, the truth that motivates our singing is deep. And it is personal. And it is precious. And nobody cares if you can hit the right notes. And you shouldn't care if they care. Right? People should be looking at you like, wow, that person really believes what they're singing. How would it change our service? How would it change our worship if it was regard—I don't care what people think. I mean, there's only, for me, there's only one person singing here, and it's me because I'm so loud, right? I'm trying to lead the service from the front row. But part of that is because it's awesome, And I love what we're saying. As I consider my worship, I need to take a long look at my heart and ask not, am I worried about what others think? But I should ask this, why is my love so shallow that I care what others think? Do you hold back? Why? What is it that keeps you from expressing Your love for Christ. Lastly, I just want to see that Mary's worship was timely. It was timely. There's a spontaneity about loving worship. Maybe spontaneity is not the right word. Maybe loving worship is always looking for the opportunity to express itself. Right? The deep gratitude was there. The opportunity presented itself. There was no waiting for a more appropriate time. And it's a good thing why she would never sit with Jesus and eat a meal like this again. He would be dead in six days. And so she took advantage of the opportunity to worship. How often do we fail to express our love for God because we're waiting for a better time? How often do we fail to do an act of love because maybe it'll happen again and I'll, I'll, I'll do it then? How often have I not opened my mouth to speak a kind word, but have stayed silent because I don't want to be misunderstood. Have you been prompted to give, but but waited to think through it and make sure that it was financially right? Have you been moved to give of your time, and at the next opportunity, I'll, I'll show up the next time. Have you ever sat through a Wednesday night service when the pastor was asking, has the Lord done anything in your life? And yes, he had, but you're just, let's make sure everybody else gets a chance to speak, and then uh, we'll sing a song, and then I'll go and, know. wait, he's, he's, he's dismissing us. I didn't have a chance to say it. Oh, well, I'll do it next week. Some of you have done that for years. You see, loving worship doesn't wait. There's a, there's a readiness of a thankful heart to give praise. And here's the thing, you say, well, I do have a thankful heart, I just don't like to speak. Guess what that's interpreted as? Ingratitude. Well, don't judge my motives. I'll tell you, those who love Christ and are thankful speak up, don't they? They take advantage of the opportunity at hand. She didn't know this would be the last time she would eat with Jesus before his death. But tell you, there's some important lessons we can learn from Mary's worship. Don't wait. Don't wait to worship. Don't wait to love. Don't wait to give. What happened to the man who finally stored up enough to where he was at a point where he could go out and be generous? What happened? He died that night. Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us a parable about a rich man and it the ground brought forth plentifully, and he thought to himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no more room to bestow my fruits? He goes, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater barns, and then I will bestow all my fruits and my goods, and then I will say to myself, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, what? You're a fool. I bless you with bountiful ground plentiful ground and you did what with it and tonight you will give an answer and it's too late to worship it's too late to give it's too late to sacrifice it's too late to serve your soul will be required of you and then it says this who shall those things be And then it says this at the end. Jesus says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you think that has any application to our worship? Are you going to make God richer by giving him money? I want to discourage you from that. From giving, and we're going to get to that when we talk about the poor. But i tell you what, if you wait so that you can have enough, You'll never have enough and you'll die and it will be somebody else's and you will give an answer as a poor man before your loving father. Mary's worship was timely and we need to take note, teenagers, don't wait Don't wait till you get out of college and have a career and then you're going to become active in the church and then you're going to give of your time to the Lord. Now is the time! Worship needs to happen now! Service needs to happen now. Giving everything, your heart, soul, strength, and body needs to happen now. Don't wait. You want to truly enjoy life? The way to truly enjoy life is to enjoy it having given it back to your Creator. Young parents, we heard a beautiful message last Sunday about a mother who recognized that worship was costly, but that it was worth it. And she took her most valued possession. I don't believe that a was worth 10 sons, even though he said that, right? Right? I don't believe that. I I think Samuel was the apple of her eye the answer to prayer and i think it was the greatest sacrifice she could have made and she gave that son to the lord young parents now is the time to give your kids to the lord what do you mean what do we mean when we say give our kids to the lord don't drop them off at church tonight okay there's no place for them to sleep and nobody's going to say you know your kid's name and not like samuel like that right how do you give your kids to the lord You start by giving yourself to the Lord and encouraging your children to serve the Lord with their heart, with their soul, with their strength, with everything there are. And then you pray, oh God, take my child and use him in your ministry. It's okay if it's Africa or China. It's okay if it's the U.S. government. There's some darker places out there, right? God, just take my my child and use him for the gospel's sake. Can you actually pray that prayer? This would be an act of worship. Grandparents, those of you who are elderly, it's not too late, right? God says this, and I'm sure you understand it more than the younger. James chapter 4, what is your life but a vapor that vanisheth away. In fact, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Don't rejoice in your boasting. All rejoicing is evil. Therefore, if a man knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, what's the rest of the verse? To him, it is sin. Well, I'm at the end of my life. I didn't use it like I w- If I could go back, I would change things. You can! Change it today! Worship the Lord by giving yourself. How do I give myself? There's a million ways. Just start asking God, and He will surely show you. And if you need help, come by on Monday. How timely is this? Mary here is prophesying of Jesus' death. Just like Caiaphas did, without knowing, in chapter 11... So Mary prophesies of Jesus' death and burial. In fact, Jesus says she is doing this to prepare me for burial. Spikenard was a a spice that they would use. Obviously, back in the day, they didn't have morgues and refrigeration, and so they would would put these spices on the body. And when Jesus' body was taken off the cross, it didn't go to Mary and Martha, right? It went to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they anointed the body of Jesus. So Mary Mary didn't have that chance. But she took opportunity, she took opportunity, and it was foretelling of Jesus' death. We can't get into Judas today. We'll save that. And Jesus makes a, a difficult statement here when he says, listen. Of course, he sees right through the hypocrisy and deceit of Judas. But he says, the poor are always with you, but I am not always with you. And so I'll just leave that for you to sit on for a couple weeks. What does Jesus mean by that? What does Jesus mean by that, and how do the hypocrites of today use that against those who will truly worship? In conclusion, let me just ask you this. Why are you here today? Can you, could you verbalize? Can you do that today? Can you answer the question, why I am here? Okay, Some of you, it's because your parents made you. Just be honest. God knows that. My parents made me. Some of you, well, if I'm not at church, God is not going to bless me. Some of you are here because Jesus is your Savior. And that's why you're here. That is worship. God loves that. That brings joy to the heart of God when he hears you singing how worthy he is, the work that he's done for you, the salvation he's provided for you. Is it duty that brought you here, or is it love? Did you come here today to worship? What did it cost you? I'll tell you what it cost you right now. A beautiful day at the beach. A beautiful day on the road or on the lake. For the river. But I tell you what, I guarantee you when you walk out of here, if you gave your heart to the Lord, it's nothing. You'll sacrifice that again and again. It makes no sense to the world, but they also don't have gratitude. These two women are held up for us as the expressions of grateful love expressed in service, expressed in worship, Let's ask God to do that work in our hearts. Let's pray.